0: to let you know that the CL Podcasts are officially sponsored by our partners RiceUp. RiceUp, healthy and functional snacks.
1: Welcome to Food for Thought, the CL Podcast. We will always need to eat, so farming and food processing will always have a future. But the changes impacting these sectors are huge. At a time of transitions, reinventions and global social responsibility, CL Paris is reaffirming its ambition by uniting food professionals around the major transformations taking place in the industry. I'm David Addison, and in this edition of Food for Thought, we will hear from Emmeline Falouse, director, fresh and a member of the Extended Leadership Group. First, though, let's catch up on some recent news from the CL newsroom. (music) Food inflation in the UK accelerated strongly to 9.3% in August, up from 7% in July. This is above the three-month average rate of 7.2% and the highest rate since August 2008. For fresh food, the rate in August was even higher at 10.5%, whilst ambient food accelerated to 7.8%. The data released by the British Retail Consortium is based on figures from Nielsen IQ. It shows that food prices are easily outstripping other sectors. For example, shop price annual inflation accelerated to 5.1% in August, above the three-month average rate of 4.1%, while non-food inflation decelerated to 2.9% in August. British retail consortium CEO Helen Dickinson said... There are mounting cost pressures up and down supply chains. The war in Ukraine and the consequent rise in the price of animal feed, fertiliser, wheat and vegetable oils continued to push up food prices. Fresh food inflation in particular surged to its highest level since 2008. And products such as milk, margarine and crisps saw the biggest rises, she said. The rise in shop prices is expected to play into wider UK inflation figures, which some analysts are predicting could top 18% in 2023. Helen Dickinson added that the situation is bleak for both consumers and retailers, but retail businesses will remain committed to supporting their customers by offering discounts to vulnerable groups, expanding value ranges, fixing prices of essentials and raising staff pay. However, there is only so much they can shoulder. Future Meat Technologies has recently developed a revolutionary new alternative meat. The Israel-based cultivated food manufacturer is revered for its innovative technology used to produce meat, and it is thought this new invention will be a bold stimulus for the alternative meat industry it's thought that the introduction of an alternative lamb product would be popular with markets around the world. The European Union is recognised as the largest consumer of lamb in the world, while lamb remains a primary meat source for countries in the Middle East, Northern Africa and certain regions in Asia. Future Meat's development of alternative cultivated lamb started in 2019. Fibroblast cells taken from the Awassi sheep breed were used to create two ovine cell lines, said Michael Lenahan, general manager of Future Meat. Since lamb has a uniquely distinct flavour, it is very clear if a cultivated substitute is on or off the mark. The reason Future Meats cultivated lamb is indistinguishable from conventional lamb is because it is first and foremost real meat. It sizzles, sears and tastes just like people expect. Now, let's speak to our guest on this edition of Food for Thought, Emmeline Fellous, director of Fresh and member of the Extended Leadership Group. and We're focusing specifically on sustainability. Sustainability has become something of a a buzzword. What does it mean for you?
0: That's a really good question. Uh, We hear about sustainability all the time, and I think it means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. Mm -hmm. Some people put emphasis on the environmental side of sustainability, some others on the social side of sustainability. In fact, in academic terms, sustainability encompasses the two of them, environmental and social components, mm-hmm. and their diversity from soil protection, soil preservation to biodiversity protection, to water use, and then to um, human rights preservations and uh, et cetera. Mm-hmm. However, this is really, really complex. And when it comes to nailing it down and implementing um, different strategies in companies, we really need to try and simplify. So WBCSD has identified three imperatives when it comes to sustainability, and these are equity as well as climate and nature. We put equity central because we think nobody's gonna be able to uh, fight climate change and to reduce biodiversity loss unless we put equity centrally in our minds and we make sure that we distribute better the value. And then finally, when it comes to food, we believe that another fourth imperative should be added, and that one is nutrition.
1: First of all, I suppose, explain why nutrition is important and and how that helps the process, if you like.
0: Yes, of course. So, today, we know that there are 870 million people worldwide who live in hunger. That's basically one person out of 10. And the number is only growing because of the COVID crisis, of climate change, which is happening now, and of course, of the war in Ukraine. But next to that, we do have 2 billion people in the world who are overweight and amongst those 650 million who are obese. Mm -hmm. All of these people, they basically suffer from malnutrition. And so that's basically the reason why if you accumulate all of that, it's almost half of the population who suffers from malnutrition. It's extremely urgent that we actually restart to focus on delivering the right food to people, which is not just about calories, but really the, the nutrients that are in the food.
1: So how does the, the World Business Council for Sustainable Development help companies make that transition? Because it must be an education process as much as anything.
0: Yes, absolutely. So when you talk about education, um, it's an education of everyone really. It's an education of uh, the policymakers. Uh, in fact, last year was held for the very first time the United Nations led uh, food system summit, which for the first time ever really connected the dots and made people realise that when you talk about food it's not just about growing food it's not just about agriculture it's also about the nutrition and the health of the people that comes with it Mm -hmm. it's also about the social conditions of the people who who grow that food or transform that food etc so there is really an important piece of work of education to be done around the connection and therefore the fact that you cannot continue to just think about one thing in one angle only so that's at the policymaking levels you know which subsidies are being granted to whom we can take the example of subsidies granted in the us to corn production corn often is thereafter basically used to feed cows and then to be turned into corn syrup so because the corn is subsidized the price of corn becomes very low therefore the, the price of meat is becomes much lower and the price of corn syrup hence sugar becomes lower which is therefore used much more in the food. So in the end, it has perverse effects. So all of the policy makers need to think about this in an integral integral manner. And for the companies and for the consumers, it's the same for companies, it's about integrating malnutrition in some of their KPIs when they make decisions around procurement. And for consumers, of course, increasingly people are really concerned about Nutri-score, uh, also the environmental score of the foods that they, that they buy, but there is really a need to one, um, improve awareness, yeah. two, improve education, and three, improve
1: information. If you take the companies in isolation, how difficult is it to get them to adapt? Because perhaps their first priority is, is profits and shareholders, not to um, healthy eating, let's say.
0: That's an excellent question. You're right. So, first of all, the mindset of the decision makers and companies is evolving because of the pressure that they're all facing, basically. Um, Profit, you know, remains something that is that is important, but we see a growing um, noise amongst the very different stakeholders that we can think about around the fact that companies have other purposes than just making profits. Um, and so, of course, there is a number of challenges that the companies are facing very strongly. It's the need to decarbonize and they feel it because now making is starting to also um, actually come around the corner on the same issue. They feel increasingly they need to become more nature positive because the same type of framework will be developed in the future by policymakers as well. They also need to contribute to an inclusive and equitable society. We see increasingly you know, people asking questions and getting quite upset about the, the cost of energy that is rising while actually hmm. the providers of energy have made billions. And so this this inequality issue is going to become much more of a problem that companies cannot do without.
1: Are you seeing the companies... Making these these switches is is it a quick process? Is it a slow process? But but are you seeing the, the the mindset shift, if you like, amongst big businesses?
0: I'm saying that there is a shift, absolutely, and amongst the the companies that are members of the BBCSD, we see you know a lot of companies walking the talk and making real changes in their in their strategies. Now, this being said, it's not the case of everyone. Not everybody has the same means. Not everybody has the same uh, dedication and commitment from their sure. uh, top management. And finally, something that we must say is that we will never achieve anything unless we work together across the value chain and including all of the different stakeholders. And so for all of these reasons, really, the collaboration across stakeholders is is something really, really uh, critical.
1: Let me just take you, if I may, to ethical food sourcing and how important that is to the process. And again, what companies can be doing to make that transition?
0: Absolutely. That's the right question to ask. It's because most of the environmental and social impacts that the food system has and that any company has are actually at the production level, at the agricultural stage. So for example, if you look at greenhouse gas emissions that come from the food system, 80% of them are actually due to agricultural production and land use change. Similarly, we have 30 to 50% of all of the food produced worldwide is produced by smallholders. So, unless we really tackle what's happening at the agricultural level, we're never able to have a sustainable food system.
1: Okay. And finally, with the clock ticking, what message do you have for the food industry as a whole?
0: Well, I would say it's a bit of a summary of what we just talked about. First Mm. of all, all of the pressing challenges are basically showing to people that you just cannot sit and wait. Um, you know, again, the push to decarbonize, the push to have an inclusive society with, you know, increasingly consumers being unhappy about what they're being offered and the impact on the environment. They're just, they're, they're not just risks, they're really a license to operate for the companies. So that's the reason why you really need to act quickly. And the second thing that I would say is that incremental improvements are good. They're useful, but they're not sufficient anymore. So an example is that we can improve nutrition, through reformulation. We can definitely reduce the levels of salt, sugar and fat in in the food and that's great and that saves lives. However, we need to shift dietary patterns and we need the companies to really invent new products that deliver much better nutrition. And we won't be able to do that just by reformulating. So really, from thinking about all of the types of ingredients that you're buying, which ingredients, where do they come from, what's the nutrition in there? to what type of products, in the end, am I proposing? We really need a radical shift, a radical transformation of the way we've been co- collaborating and, and operating before. And that's really why we do need to work on this all together.
1: Emmeline Fallus, thank you very much indeed.
0: Rice Up are the official partners of the CL podcast. Rice Up, healthy and functional snacks.
1: Fascinating stuff as ever. Now, let's turn back to the news. Carlsberg is launching limited edition cans to mark 30 years of one of the longest standing partnerships in Premier League football. The six new collections are inspired by some of the iconic kits from the Danish Brewers era on the front of the Liverpool Football Club shirt. The six-packs also feature some of the most celebrated players in Carlsberg and Liverpool FC history, including Ian Rush, John Barnes, Robbie Fowler, Jamie Carragher and Luis Garcia. The can designs bring in the millions of dedicated Liverpool fans in the form of many songs sung, not only at Anfield but also worldwide commenting on the 30 years anniversary ben latty liverpool fc commercial director said it's an iconic collaboration and we consider them more than a partner carlsberg are a true supporter of liverpool football club they've been part of some of the club's most memorable moments and we have a unique relationship the new limited edition packs are a brilliant way to recognize this and reignite some fond memories for lfc supporters reflecting on our great history together Cocktail bars, restaurants and drinks venues in the UK are being wooed by a new brand called Mixologist's Garden, which has introduced six freeze-dried garnishes designed to make the life of a mixologist or even an at-home cocktail maestro easier. The garnishes, ranging across three citrus lines, lime, lemon and orange, and three berry lines, strawberry, blueberry and raspberry, come ready to serve in resealable packs and have ultra-long shelf lives. Serial entrepreneur Gary Levicius, who heads up the brand, described it as a game changer because it takes the pressure off mixologists who can spend less time chopping up fruit and focus more on showing off their cocktail making skills. Stasio Levichius added, COVID led to a boom in drinking at home, with a huge rise in people searching for easy cocktail recipes online. Around forty percent of consumers now say they want to make better quality drinks. The trend has also led to consumers being more discerning when purchasing and consuming drinks in bars. The garnishes, exclusively distributed by Molson Coors, are already being used in cocktails, soft drinks, ciders, and beers in more than a thousand bars in the UK the brand is now being launched into travel markets for airlines and cruise ships to replace fresh fruit in drinks service. All the fruit in Mixologist's garden products is 100% sourced in season and then processed, which means that fresh fruit is not being flown across the world, thus cutting food miles by 90% according to the brand. Additionally, transportation costs versus actual fruits are reduced because the product is 90% lighter than fresh fruit and can also be stored at ambient temperatures. The European Union has given the green light to the spending of tens of millions of euros in Bulgaria to reduce disruption that the Ukraine war is having on agricultural production in Eastern Europe. In an announcement made this week, the European Commission said it had approved a 218 million euro Bulgarian government scheme to support certain agricultural producers. A state aid programme, the initiative was approved under the Commission's Temporary Crisis Framework, a measure that allows for specific assistance to be given by governments as a result of Russia's invasion of Ukraine. There are restrictions on state aid to ensure free and fair competition within the 27-member EU, but these are being loosened under certain conditions because of the exceptional circumstances. Margarita Vestager, the executive vice president of the European Commission in charge of the competition policy, said in a statement released that the agricultural sector had been hit particularly hard by the increases in energy prices caused by the Russian invasion. This 218 million euro scheme approved will enable Bulgaria to support farmers affected by the current geopolitical crisis, she added. Bulgaria is an important agricultural producer and the sector plays a central part in the country's economy. About 48% of its total area is cultivated land. Known for its winter wheat, winter barley, corn and sunflowers, Bulgaria has also seen increases in winter rapeseed cultivation. Worth 426 million Bulgarian lev, the state aid scheme is the European Commission statement said open to micro, small and medium sized companies that are primary producers of certain agricultural products affected by increases in the prices of fertiliser, fuel and other inputs caused by the current crisis. A wide range of agricultural products are covered by the programme, including fruits and vegetables, especially salads and lettuce, okra and courgette plus nuts, rose oil and wine vines, among several other categories. CL22 has welcomed a new patron, Mauro Colagreco, to champion its Own the Change campaign. The internationally renowned chef is partnering with cl 2022 to help people change their relationship with food and to develop a circular gastronomy. His three Michelin star restaurant, Mirazur, was the first in the world to be certified zero plastic, and he is now hoping to inspire others at this year's trade show in October. Drain's Farm, a Northern Ireland-based ice cream company, will sell in the Republic of Ireland for the first time. The company, based in Lisburn, received a grant from Intertrade Ireland that promotes cross-border trade. Drain's Farm has been described as a field-to-fridge ice cream producer that has a long history stretching all the way back to 1923. In 2015, the company started to make ice cream and sorbet products from milk sourced from its 200-acre dairy farm. The company decided to explore ways to sell its products south of the border, especially as Drain's Farm began to win awards and earn praise from consumers. After qualifying for the grant, Drain's Farm received funding for 50% of the services of a return on investment sales company. Thus, the company partnered with Sales Plus to kickstart distribution in the Republic of Ireland. Signalling that the airport and travel retail channel is on the rise once again after Covid, the super premium Edinburgh gin has introduced a new flavour, strawberry and pink peppercorn, exclusively for Duffery stores. Duffery, currently seeking a merger with Italian's food and beverage retailer Auto Grill, is the world's biggest airport retailer. The new flavour will go into all of the retailer's stores under the world duty-free fascia in the UK, numbering almost 30, including tray stations and seaports, as well as Duffery stores in other main airports in Europe. According to the brand owner, Ian McLeod Distillers, Edinburgh gin's 40% ABV strawberry and pink peppercorn variant will be sold in a one-litre size for £29.99. The blend uses traditional gin botanicals mixed with bright notes of strawberry and balanced with sweet and spicy pink peppercorns, which together are said to offer a berry twist of the classic gin and tonic. Flavoured gins continue to have impact in the category and currently represent 40% of sales in the UK off-trade, such as food. retailers, supermarkets and airport retailers. The launch of Edinburgh Gin Raspberry Liqueur in 2010 is claimed to have led the boom in the flavoured gin category, followed in 2014 by the brand's popular rhubarb and ginger liqueur. Next year, an Edinburgh Gin Distillery and Visitor Centre will be opened in the heart of the Scottish capital. The food waste management market is expected to double in size between 2022 and 2032, bringing the total value to approximately 80.72 billion euros, $83.2 billion. The findings provided by Future Market Insights concluded that the global products from food waste market was valued at around 51.92 billion euros, $52.91 billion in 2022. Over the next 10 years, there is expected to be a compound annual growth rate of 4.6% until 2032. A number of drivers were identified as contributing to growth in the food waste market. It's reported that the total amount of food waste is increasing year on year. A report from World Bank named What A Waste 2.0, a global snapshot of solid waste management to 2050, predicts that 3 billion tonnes of waste will be generated every year by 2050, inspiring unprecedented investment in the food waste management market. As living standards improve in certain regions of the world, consumers are found to litter and contribute more to food waste. In turn, this creates opportunities for food waste management businesses. In economically strong regions, consumers contribute more to food waste, which also generates opportunities for products and services within the food waste management market. The report identified cosmetic criteria, the appearance, as a major factor as to why a lot of fresh produce is thrown away by consumers. In turn, the food waste market grows. US retailers were found to have lost around €14.72 billion euros, 15 billion dollars annually due to failing cosmetic criteria for fresh produce, according to the United States Department of Agriculture. Fruits and vegetables that are discarded for these reasons are deemed fit to eat and nutritional. Therefore, certain manufacturers were found to start processing products that do not meet cosmetic criteria. Products created from food waste can be attractive to health-conscious consumers due to said nutritional value. It is noted that consumers were found to pay more for products with an added value, be it organic, gluten-free or even made from food waste. That's it for this edition of Food for Thought, the CL podcast. Feel free to like, share and comment on the podcasts and keep an eye on the CL newsroom with news for Europe, Asia and the Americas. But for now, from me, David Addison, it's goodbye.